You may have listened to my podcast about Billy the Goat about a year and a half ago. It's my first podcast. I told you I didn't like Billy then. Well, I still don't. But it's time to get Mama and Razzie pregnant again, so I brought him down from the mountain a month ago to live with my does until they're successfully bred. Marilyn, a good friend of ours who spends winters in Florida, asked, how does one know when the goats are pregnant? The easiest way is when Billy stops paying any attention to them. That was pretty easy last time. It was as if a switch had been thrown. One day he was all over them, then he didn't care about them, and they wanted nothing to do with him. But it's not like that this time. I'll tell you what happens. Uh, If you're queasy about animal activities while breeding, you may want to fast forward a minute or minute and a half or step out of the room for a cup of tea. Here's what happens. Before meeting a doe in heat or near that time, a billy goat pees all over his face again and again. It builds a mighty, powerful, disgusting smell. Disgusting for humans. Clifton says it makes female goats excited and can bring them into heat. Not only that, when a billy gets around the doe in question, he'll put his face under her rear end when she's urinating. He goes so far as to open his mouth and taste it. He looks up in the sky, savors it. That's crazy, huh? It tells him about the hormones, I guess. Often a billy breeds a doe once and it's done. Success. But Billy has bred them each several times, and they still show interest in each other. You're supposed to see physical evidence after about two weeks. Her stomach will get tighter, and she'll gain some weight. I don't really notice any difference in either of them. Also, you're supposed to see behavioral differences. They assume the opposite of their normal disposition. Now, They're both normally friendly and cuddly, and I haven't seen any change. So, Marilyn, you can see I'm not an expert. I may just have to break down and take blood samples and have them tested. Well, the sensors from Anishira must have approved this section because it's still in there. I tell them I have mature audiences, not to worry about my content. In any case, I'm certainly not Howard Stern. Hello, this is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira and manufacturer of the finest handcrafted goat milk soap that you will find. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter yet, go to our website, anashira.com, and do it now. Our next issue with special offers and content will be coming out soon. And while you're on the website, be kind to those people whom you should have given something for Christmas and just blew it off. Use discount code LATECHRISTMAS17. That's LATECHRISTMAS17, all together, for a 17% discount. Good through the 31st of January. Buy them a couple bars of my soap. Give it to them with a heartfelt, Hey, I appreciate you. I want you to have this. You'll feel relieved, and they will think the world of you. Well, I left you last time as we were in Villeneuve and Jerry had introduced us to the life and films of Sam Fuller. 
So join me as I go back to France and see what Jerry has up his sleeve for Don and me in this episode of Stories from Anashira. small central square of Villeneuve to the restaurant La Place every day and sit and watch the Tour de France on TV. It would take a good chunk of the day. Each stage was about 125 miles. One was 150 miles. That's four to seven hours of racing. After a couple days, we realized the food was pretty good there and we started having lunch. The owner, Pierre's mother, was a cook. We'd settle down and spend hours watching the race. The drunks still came by to try to talk with me. There was one in particular, a curly-haired guy, who tried to invite us out to some social event. I wasn't sure what it was. He said, I didn't have to worry. I didn't need any money. Quel dommage, I told him. So sorry, we have an engagement. So we escaped. At the end of the first week, we're sitting outside with Jerry, and he tells us how he took the train up to meet his girlfriend in Paris recently, and she treated him poorly. Man, Villeneuve to Paris is a long train ride. I guess that was the end of that relationship. So we sit there for a while, and he says, You guys want to take a ride with me tomorrow to Montpellier? Well, there's a school there the French-American school. I helped found it. I have a board meeting tomorrow. You can have lunch with some of my friends and teachers. Then I'm giving a reading from Sam Fuller's book, A Third Face. You can come if you want. Sure, why not? So we piled into his Peugeot and headed south to Montpellier, a pretty city, small city. As we drove in, Jerry was saying, is this place beautiful? See all these buildings? They're all new. None of this was here when I first came. I love the mayor. He's responsible for all of this. I think the mayor was on the board of his school. So we parked next to the Charles de Gaulle Esplanade. It's like a square. Outdoor restaurants all around it. Grass. Beautiful esplanade. Beautiful trees. You know how the roads are in Provence and France? They're lined with huge trees. Many of them are plane trees. That's P-L-A-N-E, originally from Persia. There's nothing more magical on a hot summer day in Provence than sitting in the shade of a towering plane tree, drinking a glass of chilled rosé with a bunch of friends. Napoleon ordered the lining of roads with plane trees, to provide shade for his marching troops. Also other tall trees like ash, elms, and chestnuts. So we went to an outdoor restaurant there specializing in crepe, crepes, where Jerry introduced us to some of his staff while he headed off to his meetings. There were some of the finest, funniest, most witty people I've ever met. We sat and we drank some rosé and some coffees, Yes, who could resist it under these giant trees? 
I ate a crepe of ham and cheese and had another one of chocolate and sugar for dessert. You know, I could eat one of those right now. We're laughing and telling stories, and a tall man dressed in black, long black pants, long-sleeved black shirt, walks up to the table. Somehow he walks right up to me. Do you desire that I draw your portrait or someone close to you? He asks. I'm about to say, no, thanks. When the guy sitting next to me says, he's good. He's known around here. His name is James DDA. I'm staring at Dawn and DDA says to me, I will make her as beautiful as she is. Trust me. So what could I say? Très bien, Monsieur DDA. Do it. So he sat across from Dawn with his drawing board and paper and charcoal pencils and he worked. A long time. I wandered around. I took a few photos of them. But I didn't look over his shoulder. When he was done, he presented it to me. Voila, monsieur. Oh, my. It was dawn. Beautiful. But she looked French. I am so glad I said yes to James DDA. I have that drawing framed. And it hangs in our living room where I look at it every day. We wandered through the city to the French American Center. It was French American Day, and there was quite a turnout for Jerry's reading. He pulls out this thick tome that he helped write with Sam Fuller, and he reads, He's good. I can almost see Fuller standing there with a huge cigar in his hand. We stand around when it's over, chatting with the people. There's a young woman there, a teacher at the school. Long, dark hair, maybe mid-twenties. She seems interested in Jerry. I'm just joking with her and say, Hey, you should come up to Villeneuve and visit Jerry. I think he's lonely. I jot Jerry's phone number on a card. And I give it to her. I'm just joking. Yeah, I have had a few glasses of rosé. I never thought she would actually do it. The next day, the phone rings in Jerry's office. Sylvie comes up and says, Jerry, there's a woman on the phone for you. Who is it? She says her name is Lisa. I don't know any Lisa. She says she's from the Institute in Montpellier. So Jerry goes to talk to her. He comes back. Ernie, she's at the train station in Avignon. She says, you invited her here to come visit me? Are you crazy? No, I was just joking, man. I, I never thought she'd show up. So Jerry goes and gets this Lisa. She hangs on Jerry like grim death. We laugh when Jerry gets up much later than normal the next day. The following day, he's pushing her to head back to Montpellier. She claims she has no money, nothing. Jerry has to pay for her train ticket to get rid of her. How could you just invite her here to see me without asking first? Hey, man, I never thought she'd come. But I thought you were lonely. And you certainly didn't look too upset stinking around with her into your room in the garage. That Sunday, Dawn and I head down to La Place to watch the tour after our morning bicycle ride. 
My mouth was watering for a plate of Pierre's mother's brochette of lamb. We get there, and there is no Tour de France on TV. Some guy is sitting watching a Grand Prix race. Dawn's face falls. Pierre looks at us like he doesn't know what to do. It's okay, I tell him. We'll find some other place. Dawn and I look at each other and I say, Hey, we're only tourists here. They have a lot of regular local customers. It's not a big deal. But neither of us was excited about sitting in the kitchen at home in front of a small old TV set. We sit down for a few minutes at a place in the square to have some wine. We'd barely taken a sip of it when I see someone hustling over in our direction. It's Pierre from La Place. He comes and apologizes. Quel dommage! He says the guy watching the Grand Prix had seen us come in and leave. When Pierre told him that we came in every day to watch the Tour de France, he had said, Mon Dieu, Pierre, change the station, please, and call him back. So we walk back with Pierre. The poor guy continues to apologize. We get in. He takes us to our table, pulls out the chairs for us, brings us an aperitif on the house, said his mother would fix us whatever we wanted for lunch. And from then on, he and I were pals. Later, he would talk to me about his dream. It had been to move to the States and open a small restaurant. Ernie. The French had much difficulty pronouncing Ernie. Ernie. Sounded like he was calling me honey. Don't call me honey. No, I didn't say that to him. Do you think it's possible to live in the United States and have a restaurant? Certainement, c'est possible, Pierre. But I doubt he ever did it. July 14th is a French national holiday, Bastille Day, celebrating the storming of the Bastille prison in 1789. We happened to be out walking next to the tour of Philippe le Bel just after nightfall that day, when all hell broke loose over the river between us and Avignon. It seemed like the firework display of the century. When I think of the verse, the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, I think of that spectacle. We sat down on the hill next to the tower for what seemed like forever, an hour and a half. And in the background, the famous Pont d'Avignon, the Bridge of Avignon, and Avignon itself. It was a great night. French people all around us, ooing and awing and cheering at the bombs and the fireworks. Now, I, I know some of this may sound strange to you. I can hear your question. Wait a minute, Ernie. Didn't you and Dawn rent this house from Jerry? Yes, we did. Did you expect him to be around every day? Mm, not really. Yes, it is kind of weird when I look back at it. It was oddly sort of normal at the time. And he wasn't there every day. He'd leave for a couple days and come back, but sometimes it seemed like he was there all the time. So Jerry comes back the day after Bastille Day and says, Can I make my famous grilled lamb chops for you for dinner tonight? Uh, sure, Jerry. Do you mind if in, I invite a couple of friends? Uh, no, Jerry, that's fine. 
So we drive with him off to market day in Orange. It's a bigger city and a bigger market than Villeneuve. He has a favorite butcher of lambs. So he buys a bunch of chops. Next door to it is a Boucherie Chevaline, a stand selling horse meat. I'd never eaten horse meat, and Jerry goes up to a woman who's just made a purchase. Do you recommend horse meat, he asked. He'd never eaten it either. It's funny, because Jerry had eaten about everything. I never buy beef. I prefer horse meat. It tastes better, and it's cheaper. She's not an old woman, maybe 40. I like it best as raw tartare, but I otherwise serve it rare with potatoes, garlic, and salad. I like it really bloody. Now, I, I love steak tartare, but from a cow, not a horse. Jerry had a barbecue built in the corner of his back garden, which bordered a large park. This park was covered with very tall, dry grasses. There was indeed a drought, and this barbecue was wood-fired. It had a tall chimney. Jerry would collect pieces of wood on his travels and bring them home and store it. I've never seen anyone guard his wood more carefully and use less of it when grilling. He claimed it was because of the fire danger. I think he was just a miser with his wood. So we prepared grilled eggplants, put them in a salad, lots of garlic, fresh tomatoes, the lamb that he cooked over his economic fire. It was outstanding. We stayed up very late with his friends, Pierre and Veronique. Lots of wine and then some more wine. Very late. The next morning, I met Jerry. I'm letting Don sleep in. You want to come downtown Avignon with me for breakfast with Pierre and Veronique? It won't last too long. Now, nothing was never not long with Jerry. All right, let's do it. We head to this very luxurious hotel in Avignon. It's Pierre, Veronique, and a lot of people from a film company. Jerry's been offered a small role in a French film, and he's very excited and very nervous. So we eat breakfast and talk about the lamb from the night before, and, and they convince Jerry to play the role of Riley. He's a réalisateur, a director of a film. The film is called Au Suivant, Next. The film came out the following year. The reviews were not that great, but Jerry did pretty well. So he and I are driving back to Villeneuve, and he says, Ernie, have you thought of staying in France longer? What do you mean, Jerry? Well, I had a renter scheduled, a Belgian woman, after you guys left. But she got sick and had to cancel. So I was thinking, if you want, you and Dawn could stay as my guests. Your guests? Yes. You could help me pay some of the utilities and taxes... And that would help me. I have two projects you could also help me with. I know Don has painted before. I want to paint the entryway. The tall entryway. She could help with that. And I want to dig a cave, a cave, a wine cellar in my backyard. You could help me with that if you like. 
I was surprised, shocked. It sounds good, Jerry. Well, let me talk to Don. It would be a lot of fun, he says. So we got home, and Don and I went down to the main square in front of La Place, sit on a bench. How was your breakfast with the movie people? It was fine. Not sure I'd want to do it every day. I told her what Jerry had proposed. What do you think? Ernie, I would really like to stay. You know I love it here. And it's not like we have a job to go back to. What about you? Yeah, it sounds good. But I don't just want to come back from Paris for a few days. I think a couple weeks is the right amount of time. Perfect. We were due to leave for Lyon in three days. And we needed to firm up our plans and change our tickets and so on and so forth. So I, I went to meet Jerry the next morning, Saturday. And we walked down for a newspaper and, of course, a coffee. So, Jerry, were you serious about us staying here for a while? Dead serious. I told him it would be great, but we didn't just want to stay a couple of days. The project of digging a wine cellar and solid rock would take a while. So how long do you want to stay? Two weeks, three weeks, a month? I think three weeks would be right. Not too short, not too long. Outstanding, said Jerry, and we shook on it. The next day was Sunday. We packed our suitcases. I put new tires and new handlebar tape on the bikes, trued the spokes, packed them in their cases. That's like completing a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle. Of course, that night, we went out to some other friends of Jerry's for a four-course-plus late dinner, as usual when Jerry was around. These people, Michel, known as Mickey, and his wife, Michelle, called Dadu, they became good friends of ours as time went on. On Monday, we forced ourselves out of bed, crammed our two bike cases and one big suitcase into Jerry's small hatchback, and headed back to the TGV station. Our travels would be the opposite of how we got to Avignon. We'd take the TGV to Lyon, to Padoue train station, catch the bus to the Lyon airport, and there we'd be picked up by the tour provider and meet the people on the tour. So we'd get to the TGV station and pull out our cases, pull them up to the platform, Neither of us was looking forward to the loading and storage of these bicycle cases. We find the location where our car is going to stop. And we get our stuff all lined up, and go over our process. And that high-speed train, even though it was decelerating, man, it enters like a jet plane. Dawn and I had reviewed our process. And we weren't too excited about it. The train stops. Its doors slide silently open. And, oh no, uh, I'm going to have to stop here. Unfortunately, I have to go out and split some kindling before the sun sets. And it's on its way down right now. No kindling, no fire, no fire. And this house is cold in the wintertime. I just got back recently from feeding the goats. They both look a lot healthier since I treated them a couple of months ago and their ruminant geritol is helping too. 
But Billy is still hanging close. He was rubbing Mama's neck with his head and neck, still interested. And she acted like she was happy to have him do it. I don't know. I feed him a big bowl of cracked corn twice a day. So he stopped trying to fight me. We've come to a ceasefire. Thanks to Anashira for sponsoring these podcasts, and I thank you for listening to them. We'll be back in two weeks and tell you what it's like to join the hundreds of thousands of people physically following the Tour de France in our next episode of Stories from Anashira.